Thanks for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and additional resources, we invite you to check us out on the web at www.abetterlifefor.us. God bless you. Tonight we're talking about John, uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. But before we turn there, we're going to receive an offering tonight. Mario's ready. Aren't you, Mario? Praise God. Okay, Mario. I'm going to let you do it. If you, if you brought an offering tonight, I want you to let, well, let's just everybody stand, if you would. We clapped our hands, we sang our songs, we worshiped him, right? Didn't we not? So we're not of those who just do that. We're of those who give all. And we acknowledge in our giving that we are in full-time ministry, all of us. Now, I'm here to train you. I'm here to train you in areas where you need training. But all of us are in full-time ministry because our lives. Huh? We're not, right? Yes, sir. I, amen. We're all in full-time ministry. Some of us are kings. Some of us are priests. And there are very few priests among the tribes. But you're not called to preach the gospel in the sense that I am. But you're called to preach and live the gospel. Amen. Right? We're not, we're not all supposed to have pulpit ministries and pastoring churches. How boring would that be? It wouldn't be very big churches. We'd all just stay home and preach to ourselves. No, most of us, most of us in the body of Christ are kings. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. When it says over there in the book of Revelation that Jesus is the king of kings, it is not saying that he's the king of the kings of the nations. That's not what that's saying. He's not the king of the kings of the nations. Huh? He, he wasn't, he was, he's not the king of the Saudi Arabia. The, Muhammad's their king. The devil is their king. Jesus isn't the king of the kings of this world. He's the king of the kings of his kingdom. Yes. Yes. Glory be to God. I mean, <laughs> whoo, glory be to God. That's awesome. He's the king of kings. When it says king of kings, he's talking about you. Wow, that's powerful right there. Amen, amen. And the kings of his kingdom are going out there and spoiling that kingdom and bringing their finances, bringing their blessings, bringing their money, bringing their lives into the house of God. And pres Ooh, I love that. The spoils of war, if you will. And we're acknowledging as kings in his royal family that he is indeed the king of the kings. Ooh, Lord of the lords. Mercy. I don't know what that does for you, but that helps JTH a bunch. Amen. Let's lift our offering to the Lord and let's pray together. Father, I thank you tonight for all that you've done and all that you're doing in the earth. I thank you in the name of Jesus that your word is true 
And you promised us that if we would sow our seed, that you would make sure that there was a harvest that came back to us. Glory be to God. I thank you, my Father, in the name of Jesus that you are a good God all the time and that you watch over your word to perform it. And that word that went out of your mouth, it will not return to you void, just like this seed will not return to us void. Glory be to God. It'll come back good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You, can, you cannot measure running over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. I thank you for that. I thank you for it coming to your people tonight. I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Romans chapter 10. I want to begin with verse tonight, verse 7. And I need a reader. Bill, you got it there? You want to be my reader tonight? Yes, sir. Waiting on my computer to come up here. It's been, been a little cantankerous with me. but Romans chapter 10. We're going to begin reading with verse 7. Read, Bill. Or who shall descend into the deep that is to bring up Christ again from the dead? Verse, verse 8. But what saith it? The word is in thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Now you'll remember last week we said, last week we said we don't want to be, we don't want to be uh, uh, ignorant of what it says we're not supposed to talk like. The righteousness which is of faith does not say. Whew. And I talked to you about how, how so many of us prayed and were taught to pray as young kids coming up in the church. We were taught to, to beg God for everything and to, you know, grovel as best we could. And then maybe if he was merciful, he might look upon our plight and... Huh? That's the way most of us were taught to pray. And so that's the way we did pray. We prayed like a bunch of beggars. The filthy, lousy sinners that we were. How dare we address God in the first place? See, I mean, that's just the way we were taught. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the way I was. That was the whole concept I had. Beg God. And I mean, if you'll hold on to the horns of the altar. You know, I looked that up in Scripture, that holding on to the horns of the altar, and both those guys wound up dead. It just happened two times. Both of them got killed. One of them was killed while he was holding on to the horns. It happened two times in the scriptures. One of them was killed while he held on to the horns. Listen, I don't be holding on some horns if it's going to cause me to die. Amen. You can look it up yourself. Joab was one of them. Killed while he held on to the horns of the altar. You don't need to be holding on to any horns of the altar. You've got an advocate seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. He's not trying to keep anything from you. He's trying to get everything to you. Okay? I, I, I don't know about you, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but I was taught a bunch of junk. Made to believe that God was still angry, and I sure better watch myself. Hmm? You don't want to make him mad. Don't get on his bad side. He loves you, but, you know, dang, he'll kill you if you mess with him. I mean, that's just the way they, that's just the way they presented God. That's just the way they presented God. Just a big old mean, angry God. I mean, oh, he loves you. Yeah, yeah, he loves you. I mean, everybody knows he loves you, but don't mess with him. 
Oh, he loves me, but I can't. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't understand that. Give us a break. So consequently, we wound up just begging God all the time. Oh, God, you know. I love tears in church, and I love tears in prayers. I love when I lay my hands on somebody and those tears start flowing. I just, oh, I love that. I love because, and that's, that's almost automatic. I'm not saying you have to cry to prove that God is with you, but I'm saying that when, when the Spirit is moving, I can't hardly stop it. I mean, I, man, I bawl like a baby. But I got over bawling while I'm begging. Yes. Two different things. Two different things. Ooh, yeah, that's good. Oh. Do not, the f- righteousness with a, which is a faith does not say, that's what it says there earlier, who shall ascend into the heaven? That is to bring, bring Christ down from above. Or who shall des- descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. As though Jesus needed to redo all that he had done. That's what that's saying. We used to sing a song at, 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 our, at our Bible college. We need another Pentecost. No, we don't. You don't need another Pentecost. Man, I'm a walking pe- You need another Pentecost. Come over here. I'll lay my hands on you. You'll get one right now. I'll be begging God for another Pentecost. It's over. This is that. Come on, you ought to shout it out to yourself. This is that. Glory be to God. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, all you got to do is stir up that gift. You stir that gift. You stir it up. You stir that thing up. You stir that up. You stir it up. You stir it up. It's not about begging God for something. He wants it to flow. He sent the Holy Ghost to live amongst us. He's ready for it to happen. You just stir. You stir. Stop begging him for a Pentecost and stir the gift that's in you. It'll come gushing forth. Amen. Glory. Glory be to God. You only need another Pentecost if you're still under the law, if you're still under the Old Testament, still don't have the Holy Ghost. I got it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Having a gush in here. When, when the Spirit of God is working in you, Spirit of God is working in you. In this day and hour, that's proof that He's living in you. When the Holy, if the Holy Ghost has ever, ever, once ever touched your life, that's proof He's with you. Because He's not traveling from heaven, going back. Oh, man, they're doing it again. Get my stuff. I got to get my bag. Get, to, get down there to McKinney because they're operating. Ooh, y'all pray for me while I'm. No. The Holy Ghost lives here. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Woo. That's why these verses make so much sense. Romans chapter 8. Oh, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Oh, I love that. Read it again, Bill. Oh, that oh, the word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. Have you so far been walking with God that you have noticed this perpetual connection between the mouth 
and the heart. How did Jesus say it? From the abundance of the heart. You don't have to be with anybody but five or ten minutes to figure out what's really on the inside of them. You don't have to be with anybody very long at all to figure out what's on the inside of them. Because if they're full of failure, if they're full of unbelief, full of doubt, they're going to talk about everything that's going wrong. They're going to magnify what's on the inside of them. They're just going to talk about it. Can't help it. That's what's inside. If they see themselves as failures, they talk about all the failures. Let me tell you something. When David stood before King Saul, when David stood before King Saul, with nothing but a slingshot, you know, and audacity, and the anointing, by the way. He had gotten that anointing in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now he's standing before King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and that, that big mouth bully from Gath is over there on the other side of the, the rise, coming up out of the creek on the other side, on the other bank over there. Send me a man. I just love this. Saul's looking around his troops going, man, I need a man. I need a man. I need a man. Of course, of course, Goliath's wanting the big man himself. Saul stood head and shoulders above all of Israel. He was a big man. He was kind of like a giant amongst them. Send me a man. If there is one amongst you, you know, sort of. Saul wouldn't have picked this ruddy kid uh, out at all, the skinny little 16-year-old kid thereabouts, to go fight him. But God did. Send me a man. God says, I don't need a man to kill you. I'm going to send a boy. (laughs) Don't you just love God's sense of humor? You want a man? I'm going to send a a punk kid out there. Go on, David. Go out there and take him out. You can do it. You can do it. Well, 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 boy, King Saul, well, you can't do that. You can't go out there and fight him because, see, he's, he's a fighting man. I mean, you're just a youth. And he's been a fighting man since he was a youth. And look at him. Ah, you can't do this. Hang on a second, sir. I'll tell you a story. I was out tending my daddy's sheep one day. And a lion came out. And a lion grabbed one of my lambs and made off with him. Do you think I let him get away with that? What'd you do, boy? I chased him down. You chased a lion? Yeah. What'd you do when you caught him? What'd you think you were going to do when you caught him? Well, I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I caught him beyond killing him. But I knew I was going to kill him. Chased him down, grabbed him by his beard, and I smote him and slew him, King James says. If he had been a Texas rancher out there in West Texas where I used to live, it was said, I beat him to death. <laughs> Turn loose my like my mama used to whoop my rear end, you know. You better not do she pound. <laughs> right? How many of you got those kind of whoopings? Mama's mama's speech to you while she's beating you was in rhythm with the swats. <laughs> yeah. P- pound that pound that that lion to death retrieved his lamb and he said and a bear came out tried the same thing and I smote him and slew him too treated him exactly like I treated the lion oh by the way 
That's my intention for this yo-yo across the creek over here. He, he said, he shall be like one of them. I don't know if he's going to look like the lion after he's killed or if he's going to look like the bear after he's killed, but he's going to be killed. Just let me at him. Wow. Now, here's a king who knows how to fight. They were singing a song in town, you know. Saul has slain his thousands. Saul, just had one chorus, one verse. Saul has slain his thousands. Saul has slain his thousands. Thousands Saul has slain. Hmm? You all know that got a different, it got a second verse later on, right? You got a second verse that sounded like this. Saul has slain his thousands. David his tens of thousands. Everything was going real smooth till Saul got that CD. Didn't like that recording. But he let the boy go, as you know. I've always thought that a farm boy loses a lamb, a calf here and there. I was raised on a farm. I know it's virtually impossible to spend 15 years of your life on a farm and never lose one of the little ones to some predator. That's almost impossible to think about. I'm pretty sure at some point David lost one here and there. That's just my opinion. I'm a farm boy. I know how it goes. Especially back then when they didn't have the technology that we had when I was growing up. But... When he's standing before the king, facing the biggest challenge of his life across that creek, he says nothing, nothing about ever having lost one. All he will talk about and all he will let come into his mind are his victories. The righteousness which is of faith does not go around talking about all the times you've sinned and all the times it went wrong and how many times battles you fought and lost and how many cousins died of cancer. No, the, the righteousness which is of faith does not say certain things. The righteousness is of faith doesn't say, oh, Jesus, if you would just help us, if you just come down from above or if you could just... The righteousness of faith doesn't talk like that. The righteousness which is of faith talks like this. That if you will confess. Let's read verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Ah. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Wow. Wow. That's how the righteousness of faith talks. That's how the righteousness of faith talks. Did you notice that in verse 8 it says, but what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Now, the word there, the word is near you, is the word rhema. Now, it's a bit different from logos, and it's certainly different from graphe. There are a number of words in the New Testament used for, for speech, or for, for word. They can all be translated W-O-R-D. And that would be okay. But that's kind of a generic way of putting it. Here he's saying rhema. R-H-E-M-A. And they use these words interchange, not always interchangeably. But they use them specifically 
to get the point across. He said, the word, the rhema is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That's why I have taught you before and refute this whole idea that if you read a, if you read a promise, you read a promise in the scriptures, some will tell you, here's the idea I refute. Some will say, if you read a promise in the scripture, you can't claim that unless the Holy Spirit gives you a rhema, they say. I refute that. That is not in the Bible. The scriptures never, ever say anything close to that. That's some man-made idea. The Bible does not say that. The Bible is full of these promises, and every one of them, if you are in Christ, every one of them is yours. The only person that needs to come up with a rhema is not the Holy Spirit. The person with the rhema is you. The Word is near you. The rhema is near you. It's in your mouth. Can I have a good amen? It's in your mouth. You're the ones that's supposed to say it. The Holy Ghost is going to agree with you. It's the Bible. He wrote the Bible. How's he going to disagree? No, I don't like that promise. No. He's not going to disagree with you. If you'll say it, he's with you. You shall decree a thing and it shall be established unto you. What does it say? The word is near you. The rhema. That, let me give you the definition of the word rhema. That which is or has been uttered by the living voice, the thing spoken, the word. That, that which has been uttered by a living voice. Okay. Okay. Is it any sound produced by the voice and having definite meaning? Speech, discourse. I love this. A living voice speaking the written word is a rhema. That's what the Bible teaches. Can I have a good amen here? See this? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. The what? The word of faith. The word of faith. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This word of faith will get the word in you. It becomes a rhema when you speak it. The word is near you even in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. Wow. Wow, I wonder why more preachers don't preach the word of faith. You say the word of faith to some people, they go, Wow, you want to Yeah, I'm one of those. Seems like Paul was. I think these are his words. He called what he did preaching the word of faith. You ought to be ashamed of yourself if you don't like it. It's the word of faith. That's what he said. We preach the word of faith. And there's a great... See, when Jesus said, every idle word, you give account for every idle word, it's because... You know, what, what, what comes out of the man's mouth is what defiles him or justifies him, right? And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is, the, is sort of like the, when I was uh, in Oklahoma, I learned about these things. You know what this is? It, hot water heater. And over here, it had a little thing called a pop-off valve. 
that whenever the pressure or the steam or the heat or the water, whatever, if the pressure got too great in there, it might spray hot water all over your garage or wherever you had it to keep it from exploding. Okay, but whatever it got so full of and so packed full of, the mouth on the human being is sort of a pop-off valve. Whatever you get full of, that's what's going to come out. I mean, some people, you listen to them talk, you don't have to wonder what's in their tank. You know what's in that tank. (laughs) Did you notice that the Apostle Paul said he preached the word of faith? I looked the word preach up. It's the word, the Greek word caruso. Caruso. K-E-R-U-S-S-O is how you would spell it in English. K-E-R-Y-S-S-O, but the Y is always ooh sound in Greek, so it's caruso. means to be a herald, to officiate as a herald, to proclaim after the manner of a herald that is always with, with the suggestion of formality, gravity, something with authority. And so uh, this is a different word for speaking. Caruso means word, but it, it means to preach in a more formal sense, which is what I do, right? Everybody, everybody has rhema. Everybody has a word to say, and a power-packed word. But then there are those who have the Caruso word. And the Apostle Paul said, I have the Caruso word. I have the Caruso word. He said, I want you to have the rhema word. Oh, this is so powerful. How do, you get, how do you get the rhema word working in your life? Well, he goes on and says that just a little bit later. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess. Now, I want you to stop at this word confess. Boy, I like having this board in here. This is how I teach in my classes. Homo logeo. Homo logeo. And that's... The A sound, of course, homologeo. Okay? Now, homologia and homologio, they're, they're forms of this. This one specifically, homologeo, it, it does not mean to confess as in just say it. Notice all these words for word, all these words for speech, okay? Confess. Homologeo, it means specifically to say The same thing. Okay? Same sex. Got it? I'm going to erase that word. Okay? okay? But homo, same. Okay? Homologeo, the same word. Homologo. You get it? Same word. Okay, I don't, I don't mean to drive it home, uh, be redundant with it. But what he says, if you will confess with your mouth, okay, so you're going to have a rhema, confess with your mouth, homologeo, what are we supposed to say? Most people have the idea that we're supposed to go around talking about our sins all the time. We're supposed to say the same thing that Jesus would say. Confess, homologeo, say the same thing about Jesus that the gospel said. Because the gospel says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried. Thank you, Greg. 
Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day. Well, we're supposed to say the same thing about Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is the delivering power of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. To everyone who believes. Who, amen. Who confesses, see, who confesses that Jesus. There's our confession. When all the stresses and pressures of life come in on you, start squeezing you, man, what ought to, well, it ought to create the pressure on the inside of you to, Jesus is Lord. Circumstances at the bow. Amen. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a sin because you've got pressures. There's a devil out there, you know. I don't know if y'all have noticed that yet, but there's, there's a devil out there doing everything he can to stop us. To say the same thing as another. To just agree with, to concede, not to refuse, to promise, to, to confess, declare. It might, it might, it has been, it has been associated with the confession of, of sins for people who who won't acknowledge that they've sinned, those people are really kind of rare. They're mostly on college and university campuses. <laughs> and after they get off the campuses, they stop being stupid. I, I'm serious. I, I had a friend of mine that I worked with on the Santa Fe Railroad who, who claimed he was an atheist. A couple of years after he got out of college, yeah, he's an atheist. And... Uh, didn't want, to, didn't want to talk about God. He was an atheist. That's what they taught. Well, I talked to him after, after a while, and I said, Larry, somebody told me you were an atheist. And he said, oh, I was. He said, but not really. I said, well, that's what I was going to say. There's no such thing as an atheist. He said, yeah, I know what you mean. He said, uh, he said I, I used to believe in God when I was a kid growing up. He said, but I went off to college, and he said, they, they talked me out of it. And he said, so when I got through college, now, now here's, here's a guy, he went through college and became an atheist and wound up as a railroad engineer. <laughs> really? You don't have to go to college to do that. So anyway, I guess his atheism took him all the way to the railroad. Uh, he, uh, he went through college and he wound up a railroad engineer and, and an atheist. But then he said, you know, he got married and, and, and had children and he said, when I had children, I realized, watching my wife give birth, he said, I realized, oh, my God, this can't happen by accident. This could, he said, and the reality of my childhood faith came rushing back to me. He said, I, I said, I, 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 what was I thinking? He said, and, and I asked God to forgive me. And he said, I'm back on track now. I said, well, that's, that's good. That's real good. Huh? Yeah. Anyway, so I told you all that. Don't know exactly why I told you all that, but I did. You, whoever would confess with the, their mouth the Lord Jesus, huh, and believe that God raised him from the dead, shall be saved. Bill, read verse 10, would you? For with the heart. There you go. Now here's a powerful word. Confession is still that homologale. This saying the same thing that the word says brings salvation. Saying the same thing the word says. Saying the same thing. Homologale. Confessing. Is made unto salvation. The heart believes unto righteousness and the mouth is... Now listen. It is kind of saying that righteousness and salvation are two different things. 
Did, did you all hear it say that? Because righteousness is of the heart and salvation is of the mouth. That's why they work together. We tend to just lump them together and say righteousness, salvation, salvation. No, 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 no. Righteousness is a gift from God imputed to the human heart. Righteousness is a gift from God imputed to the human heart to make you brand new on the inside. Glory be to God. Okay? But you know what? This human, this human, he might have issues. Yeah, looking like that, he might. Like, hard to get a date, but anyway. He might have issues that hadn't been settled yet. How many of you had all your issues settled when you got born again? No, you didn't, did you? They weren't all settled. Now, he had, now he has power because he has been made righteous. He has power to use the word through his pop-off valve. To start to implement salvation in everything he does. Because this word salvation is the Greek word sozo. All right. Uh, come on class. Let's make a friend of the word. Now, when you, when you see a Greek word written like this, it looks like sozo, like bozo. It's not though. It, 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 has, to be pro- it has to be pronounced with a D before that Z. Okay. So, 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 so you'll sound intelligent in a theological discussion. You want to say the word sozo. Okay. Sozo. All right. So when you say the word sozo, you know, why is he teaching us all this Greek? I'll tell you why I'm teaching you all this Greek. Why it's so important to know a little bit of Greek and why it's important for me to teach you a little bit is because (coughs) (coughs) the Bible was not written in our language. And every translator has his own ideas about it. I do believe that the King James Bible is as close as any of them to getting the real meaning. I, I, I make no apologies about being a King James guy. It's just hard for me to believe that somebody in the year 2000 or the year 1900 or the year 1800 knew more about Greek than somebody who lived in 1600. Because the further away you get from those, those original languages, the harder it is to understand what they really meant back there. I'm not saying 1611 was the optimum year. I'm just saying it sure beats 1811 and 1911 and 2011. Fuss with that. Did you not see Back to the Future? You remember when he went back in time and he walked into the little drugstore and tried to order a Coke? Huh? Just, to, just that, what was it, 15 years he went back in time or 20 years, whatever it was? Well, the language had changed enormously in, in 20 years. My daddy does not think of a virus as anything in a computer. My daddy did not think of a mouse as anything having to do with a computer. My daddy didn't think of anything as a, as a bug having to, anything to do with a computer. My daddy would have thrown anything in the floor, <coughs> anything in the floor, that if he was trying to turn the thing off, he had to start it first. Your computer, you've got to start it first, and then turn it off. He, daddy would chunk the thing out in the, out in the yard. They've got to make up their minds. My daddy would have said, Windows Windows is shutting down? That's poor grammar all by itself. 
My computer says it every time it shuts down. Windows is shutting down. I'm from Oklahoma, but I know that's bad grammar. <laughs> Did y'all know that's poor grammar? Well, yeah. Windows are shutting down. All right, all right. <clears throat> so language changes. So that's why it's good once in a while go back and see what the original language really said. And the original language in, in translating the word sozo into salvation. Let's read what the definition of sozo is. Oh, you're going to like this. Oh, this is so good. The word sozo. Oh, where is it? Did I? I thought I had the definition. Oh, there it is. To save keep safe. Oh, oh, that's different. To save and keep safe and sound. To rescue from danger or destruction. Hmm. To rescue one from injury or peril. To save a suffering one from perishing. Okay. Suffering from disease. To make well. To heal. To restore to health. To preserve one who is in danger of destruction, to save or rescue. Listen, that means, uh, did you all hear the definition? That means a whole lot more than take you to heaven. Righteousness is what takes you to heaven. Salvation is what gives you heaven on earth. Woo, till you get ready to go. Amen. Righteousness is what prepares your, your inner man, your heart for heaven. But your mouth is how you implement Glory be to God. Your mouth is how you turn your righteousness into salvation in everything you live in. All aspects of your life. This is good right here. This was worth coming to church for. Praise God. Preach so good and make you wish you'd have doubled your offering. <laughs> verse, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Hmm. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Did I read verse 10 already? I did, yeah. Well, I didn't read verse 13. I'm sorry, I went way too far. I'm sorry, I skipped a bunch of verses. I, I had that salvation down there. Verse 11. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever shall believe on him shall not be ashamed. The heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Or homologeo is made unto salvation, saying the same thing is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on him shall... Not be ashamed. Look the word uh, ashamed up. Really a powerful word. Kataiskuno. Kataiskuno. K-A-T-A-I-S-C-H. It's a long word. Kataiskuno. Okay. It means to be dishonored or be disgraced. Put to shame. Made ashamed. To be, to be shamed. Blush with shame. Listen. There's no dishonor. Whoever. The scripture says. Whoever believes on him shall not be dishonored, shall not be disgraced. Whoever believes on him. You see, I think we spend too much of our time trying to, trying to preserve God's reputation, defend God's reputation. We preserve his reputation because we won't make our confession public, make our confession quietly and privately rather than make it public. Putting God's word on the line. 
You put God's word on the line, you take risks. You risk looking like a fool. Yeah, you do. You risk looking like a fool. But when you just put it out there, you just put the word of God out. I'm not saying you, that you do things to look like a fool. I'm saying you just say what God says. You say what God says to you. Well, I was planting grass one day in my yard in West Texas where grass doesn't grow. But I was trying to get a stand of grass in my yard, watering it, doing everything I could, and it was in the, the least shady spot in my yard. I had, I had pecan trees all around, so I had nice shade in some places, but in one area, it was sunlight the moment the sun came up until 4 o'clock. It was, and it was just really, really hard in that one area, out by the corner, by the stop sign. It, it, it never did grow grass except for one little stretch of time where I just, just babied it along myself. And I was out there sprigging grass out there myself, planting along. I didn't have a lot of money where I could do something nice. I just was just trying to make it go. And a guy comes running by. He got his jogging shorts on, you know, and he looking all trim and apparently didn't live in my neighborhood. <laughs> he comes jogging by looking like a yuppie, and he says, never grows where you want it to, does it? I said, ain't, ain't that the truth? And he'd already gone. I thought, ah, ah. Oh, why did I, oh, why did I say that? Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't, oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, I went on working, and I, said, and I made my own confession. I made my own confession, you know, quietly, privately, just between me and the Lord. And I re repented and got that straight, you know. And I, well, okay, God, you're just going to have to fix that. Well, here in a minute, lo and behold, here come yuppie boy again. <laughs> Run right back up the other direction. And I saw him, I said, hey, I got to tell you, my grass is going to grow. I shouldn't have said what I did a while ago. I said, my grass is going to grow. And he said, whatever. <laughs> I just kept running. Hey, but I didn't have to make him believe it. That's right. I didn't care how foolish you looked. That's right. I didn't have to make him believe it. I had to just get that fixed for me. Okay? And you know what? My grass grew. Of course it grew. It grew. It did real nice. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Bill, I want you to read that next verse. 15? Yeah. And how shall they preach? Except they be sent. Oh, no, no. Verse 14. Read verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Oh, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now, we read that one already. But, but how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, you call on him when you believe on him, right? And how do they believe? Read on. And how shall they believe in him? How are they going to believe in something they haven't heard about? See, I love this. How are they going to believe on him unless they've heard about him? How are they going to hear? How are they going to believe it? Read on. And how should they believe here without a preacher? Oh. How are they going to believe without a preacher? Now listen, whatever area of your life you're needing faith to work in, You've done yourself a great favor by coming to church. Amen. 
I don't know about you, but I find challenges of all kinds, and I run into new challenges all the time where I'm unsaved. Based on what we talked about here tonight. Don't misunderstand what I'm... Stay on track. You have areas of your life, habits, this little thing, that little thing, circumstances out there coming against you where you don't have salvation working. Hmm? But you've been made righteous. You have eternal salvation through righteousness, but you but you but you gotta make you gotta make that salvation appear in a given area. How many of you have an area that you'd like to see saved? <laughs> I, I got an area or two in my life that I'd like to see see saved like my heart is. Huh? That's not gonna happen. It will not happen because your heart's saved. Huh? It won't happen because your heart is saved. It couldn't happen without your heart being saved, let's say that. But just because you got saved <coughs> does not mean that everything's going to start going right. You've got to be careful what comes out that pop-off valve. <laughs> righteousness, does not, righteousness does not say certain things. It's careful what it talks about. Righteousness is. The, righteousness, the righteous heart is careful what it talks about. It watches itself. Oh, wow. Wow. The Lord has given me an intense focus for 2010. An intense focus. An, inten an intense focus that I believe is going to change the life of this church. And we're going to see growth like we never have. I believe this with all my heart. He has spoken some very clear and powerful things to us. Once again, thanks for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. We'd like to invite you to one of our services in McKinney, Garland, or Little Elm. And for more information about those service times and locations, you can check us out on the web at www.abetterlifeforus.com. We hope you enjoyed this. God bless you.